I'm Gabby Reese, and welcome to the show. My guest today is powerhouse entrepreneur Pyle Kadakia. She is the founder of ClassPass. This is an incredible conversation because here is a woman who grew up a child of immigrants in Jersey, did all the right things, kicked butt in school, went to MIT, got a job at Bain & Company, but all along had other passions, one of them being dance. And so she's this incredible blend of highly articulate, systematic, grinding, methodical entrepreneur, business person with someone who's interested in their why and their passion and rhythm and just the beauty and sharing her culture. She has a new book out called Life Pass. It came out February the 15th and Life Pass is Drop Your Limits and Rise to Your Potential. And we had a really incredible conversation. Not only does she give the download on how she navigated being an entrepreneur, raising capital, dealing with the hard times, because we all know any project that we undertake, there will be very difficult times. And even on the human side, all through her 20s, not really dating much because she was in this intense pursuit to get class pass successful, which recently just sold to Mind Body. And how there was pressure on her, like, oh, I'm not dating and I'm not in a relationship. And how she even navigated that. This is a woman who has found the way, even though she is doing all the right things, to not lose touch with her heart and who she really is and what's going to make her really feel successful. She now has a two-year-old son and is happily married. I learned a ton. She is an incredibly inspiring and strong person. So enjoy. Well, thank you, first of all, for coming to my house. Thanks for having me. You've been living in this state for what, about three, over three years? About 2017. Okay. I, I officially moved here, but obviously travel so much. So I think it took COVID to really call LA home. Yeah, you're entrenched. You have a deep root now. Yeah. So I read your book. Congratulations. Thank you. And uh, I'm always fascinated when people want to take on writing a book, especially like, oh, I'm going to have a kid simultaneously, yeah. <laughs> try to pivot my business. And you know what? Let's write a book. All the lessons are fresh. I want to get straight into your story because I found when I was, was doing my homework, and I, I'm sure a lot of people say this, this incredible mixture of hard charging, you know, MIT graduate, entrepreneur, hyper-organized, very clear communicator with a very creative, yeah. you know, passionate about the arts and really talking about rhythm in your life. And even the things that you guys wear when you dance, like these beautiful flowing and colors and things like that. And I thought to myself, there's not a lot of people that sort of live in these universes and have found the way to bridge that. So maybe just start with, you know, growing up in New Jersey and, you know, being a dutiful daughter. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I mean, I love the, the context you just put that in because in a way I do feel like part of it was a struggle, right? Knowing I had all these parts to me but then the brilliance of it, and I think this is what I really want other people to find, is when I put it all together. And then magic happened, and the rest of it led me to where I did in my life. But, you know, growing up for me, I uh, was an Indian girl who lived in a town of literally no one who looked like me. But my parents really, you know, really prized education. It was the number one thing. It was, look, they came here, they sacrificed everything from India. And the only thing that they knew would lead to success would be education, which would get you a good job, which would get you money and, you know, security. And that was very important to them. They literally moved a mile away from our first home just to be in the number one school district in New Jersey. Like mm -hmm. that was their number one mission. 
And when they did that, they didn't think about community. They weren't like, oh, are there other Indian people here? They were just like, no, we are doing this because you guys need to have the best education ever. So a lot of my childhood was making sure I did well in school. And then I got lucky because there was a town which was about, I would say, 10 miles away, which had a great Indian community. Um, and that really helped me because I needed to be around that too because I needed to explore another part of where I came from because I know I didn't look like everyone at school and I did get made fun of and it made me want to literally like close into a ball. It made me feel small. It made me feel like I don't belong. Mm. But then I found this Indian community nearby where I felt like I came alive and I felt beautiful and confident and I felt like I could become I don't know. I, I just felt like I saw myself resembled in the community I was around. And so I had this dual identity that I lived with for a really long time. I think up until college, I really didn't reconcile being Indian and American in the same breath. Like it was so you were lived two lives, the two, two lives. friend groups, two mm. like weekends were with my Indian community. School was with my American community. I was a cheerleader. I cheerleaded for 10 years for like American football. I was like very into that world. You would have been a good girl to throw up in oh, the Oh yeah, air. definitely. Like if they, saw, <laughs> if they saw me coming, they'd be like, yeah, please no. Be at the bottom of the You'd pyramid. You'd be the holder. I'd be at the bottom of the <laughs> period. The holder. So just out, sure. of, out of curiosity, because I think, you know, it's so funny. It's such an isolating feeling when people feel different. Yeah. You know, I'm I'm very tall. I grew yep. up in the Caribbean. But everybody has their version of 100%. it. 100%. And, and actually, I always find that sometimes if you saw those people in high school where they seemed like everything went their way, mm-hmm. it actually, you pay a different price later. Yes. You know, yeah. of where you go, well, wait, what do you mean? I don't, how do I stand out? How am I different? Right. How did that, because I, I see you, I mean, you're a beautiful woman. Thank you're, you. <laughs> you know, obviously you were performing in school. You're in, you're cheerleading. You're, I mean, the dancing is, is separate. The Indian dancing is separate. But how does that show up yeah. for you? Like as far as not feeling a part of, and, and I'd be curious to know, because I can't see how someone would really pick on you. Thank you. Um, well, I mean, I'm a 4'11 petite person, right? So I think I oh, had always been small my whole life. But I think when you come with cultural baggage in a way, in the Mm -hmm. sense that people don't understand you, right? And I'm going to be honest and say this wasn't even just the people in the school. It was also their parents, right? It was this, it was like this whole entire thing of like my neighbors didn't understand my parents and then they didn't understand the food we ate and our food may have smelled a certain way. Like it was, it just ends up becoming something that people don't understand and don't know. Mm -hmm. And therefore it becomes something different and potentially scary. And it comes down to education. So like, I think a big part of what I have learned in my life is how do I become more educated about it? And that actually does lead a lot to Indian dance because that's where I think I learned so much more about where I came from. Mm -hmm. And then I think part of my life with the dance stuff I've done came around about how do I show this culture to other people in a beautiful way that's accessible and to people who I know, you know, aren't going to potentially understand it like from a super Indian way, but I had to make it accessible, right? And I think that's really what we all need to do is keep making culture and different, you know, different parts of people who people are accessible so people understand whether you're a woman in tech, right, or right. an Indian girl, any of that. It needs to feel like it is it is normalized. It is something that you don't put expectations on, but it's really about the world because at the end of the day, I'm human. Mm, exactly. And I think when you come back down to a human story, and I think that's like part of even what excites me about this book is – this is a human story, right? Like this is li- everything I did in my life. Like, yeah, I have I have different ways I've worked and different ways I think and different ways I spend my time, which are all different skills I've learned to succeed. But at the end of the day, this is a human story about me 
loving something and wanting to give it to the world. And I think everyone has that in their life. Everyone has a calling that drives them. And when you have that, you kind of are able to really push past so many of these adverse moments that you face. And back to your point about people who don't face that, I am actually grateful for some of those terrible moments because I think it helped me build an armor. And so by the time I became this woman who was sitting in the middle of 15 investors who were all like men and I was the only woman, I had already been here before where I looked different, felt different, and I knew how to shine and how to make myself confident in those because I was so used to being the person who didn't fit in, right? right? And at that point I was like, well, you know what? I do well, I dance well, I perform well, I'm fun, I'm like, you know, I'm articulate, I went to a great school. Like I knew all these things that were going to make me powerful and I no longer looked at any of that as things that should make anyone doubt me. It's interesting, you know, when you're riding up the elevator for those meetings, like if it's a capital raise or you're doing something like that and you have to, you almost get that armor up, but how do you, you know, it's like that art of armoring up and staying exactly who you are at the same time. Because right, you do, you're going into a a foreign environment, especially when you're talking about business and being, you know, being a female and a more compact female, I think it's interesting for me being a large female. Yeah. I can, it's almost, that's almost easier. Yeah, I right? agree, right, because you can project. Well, yeah. you're just, you know, and maybe, I, you know, I learned I even used to put my hand on men's shoulders, especially if they were smaller. Oh, um, interesting. Shorter. Yeah. You're like, and you give a little squeeze. I learned that from coaches. Okay. Right? So you learn a different language. Interesting. Of like a form of equalizing or dominance, yes. but yep. still being yourself. But I think it is an interesting art. And I'm wondering if also you did that by bridging your life as an American and your family, Indian family. Like you're bridging worlds all the time. Always, right. So I, I, I think that it's a really important point that you didn't lose yourself because you said this a lot. I've watched a lot of things about that authenticity. So I just, you sort of want to encourage people like, hey, even though you have to bring a certain side of yourself. Don't lose who you are. Don't lose yourself. Absolutely. And I think back to that, it came down to being able to tell a story that was real in those meetings. And until I was telling an authentic story, I think I was being this like robot, right, in these meetings because I don't, I didn't really connect. I was more scared about what finance question are they going to ask me? Do I know all the numbers? How am I going to articulate it? When it became a story, and I actually very much connect this to dance for me because even for me, I've obviously, I've I've practiced and trained my whole life. I'm sure you've like have felt like this with any time you've played, right? It's mm-hmm. there's something that happens when you're in performance state and you be, you just come alive. And I think for me, I learned to take on some of those meetings the same way I would a performance. And I'm like, what do I do to get ready for a show? I rehearse, I practice, I connect to like the depth of the music to know what story I am trying to make the audience feel. So now this is about making the audience feel something instead of me feeling nervous. This is not about me. This is about the audience and what they're going to take away from it. And that helped me really transform, I think, my ability to be in any room. Like, I still consider myself an introvert, and I still sort of, like, hate public speaking. Like, it's like, you know, and even after all of these years of being there, leading, because I, I for me, it comes down to when I care, I never feel nervous because I feel like there's a true story. Mm-hmm. But if you ask me to, like, you know, some people can just go up there and, like, talk about anything. Like, my husband can. Like, even at our wedding, he just, like – wrote a speech and like was up there. I can't do that. Like I literally am like, no, I need to like really find the story and the depth of what I'm saying. Mm-hmm. I like to rehearse it so I can feel it. To be at a place where literally the my body is doing something 
but my mind is like is so prepared for this emotionally and all of it that I just like can get to a next level mm -hmm. because like my body's already trained to do it, right? Like it's almost like you can just speak it. I'm sure you right. must obviously with all the training you've had have been in similar states of like flow where yeah. you're just going. And I think when the more you can reach those states of flow, and I learned that from dance, and that's honestly like back to we'll get into it, but the class pass story, it came down to I think everyone in the world should know how they get to their state of flow because it makes all these differences go away. It makes you feel so centered. And the more you can hang on to that feeling in every aspect of your life and whatever you're doing, if you can enter that state of flow, you are going to succeed and no one's going to stand in your way. I think you said something that's, you said a lot of important things, but I think it's also important to understand your way. Yeah. Like some people don't want to rehearse. Yeah. Some people go, hey, I, I, it's just better for me. And I think that that's also really an important point of how does it work for you that you can put yourself in this environment to to be so. authentic or to flow. Um, it reminds me, when you talk about flow state, there was a documentary called, I believe it was called The Music of Strangers by Yo-Yo Ma. I haven't, I haven't read it but or seen it, but... Okay, you have to... Okay. See, and I encourage anyone to watch this because what it is is you have all these world-class musicians okay. coming together. So they're all working at the same time from flow. But that one mm. is an you know, Iranian, one is a Chinese musician. Um, all of these different people coming together and using the music and everything to go into flow to bring this togetherness yeah. where you do transcend. Wow. Um, it's actually really a, a beautiful, I think the timing of it's it's quite good because it it's just sort of talks about that coming together. So you you do the right thing. You mm -hmm. kick ass in school. You go to MIT, mm -hmm. big girl school. <laughs> I mean, anyway, you know, it's like certain schools, people go, I went to Harvard, I went to MIT, people go, oh. Yeah. Because they know what that means. You you yeah. you know it's like you just know what work that takes, and then you get a grown up job. You go to Bain Consulting. Yes. Yeah. Yep. I mean, even that, you know, you go. Oh, I'm still checking the boxes. Like I literally am living this like life my parents have told me to, and I'm just going. I'm going there and checking the boxes. Where do you get the courage though when you go to school to say I'm going to create you know sort of a dance troupe or tribe or company? Yeah. You're there. I mean, it's hard enough already. The workload has to be tough. Yes. You're away from home. It's all I did, though. Like, I mean, all I did was dance and work. Like, I. What I about am, dating? What about dating? Uh, so, so that's the thing. Is how I? Do you, how does an Indian girl in Jersey who's <laughs> with all white people date? <laughs> you it. don't. You're getting right into it. Um, no, well, you know what's really interesting. Okay, well, well, I feel like you. There's two parts of that. Yes. Um, in terms of the dance and work thing. So the reason for me, I knew I needed dance because it kept me like sane. It kept me confident. Like the back to that, it was like that center. I always just knew I could shine if I was dancing. And so I needed to, if there, if it didn't exist, I was like, I'm going to create it. Right. And that's what I did on campus. And I did everything I could. My life was dance and work. Like I didn't socialize. Like everyone knew me, but like everyone knew me because I was good at what I did. Mm -hmm. And I think this is like translated throughout the rest of my life. Like people know that I do good work, right? It is a part of my DNA to work hard and produce good stuff. And I do it in the things I'm good at. And by the way, the things I don't want to do, I don't do. And I don't feel bad about it. So mm. I didn't travel during college. I didn't socialize a lot. I did my homework and I went to dance class and I was choreographing whatever I had to do. And I just, it was all I did. And I know that's like part of my college. And I've looked back and I remember when I went and worked at Bain, which was actually a lot more fun than my college experience. I remember looking back because everyone had these crazy college like lives. And I just never had that. I actually had that more, I think, after college. So it was one of those interesting things for me where uh, 
I I don't know. I, I think it's just about what's important to you at the time. And yeah. I was in a really rigorous, like, you know, educational um, environment that I feel like to me dance was this outlet. So I looked forward to it, like being able to go and dance from 8 to 10 p.m. and then go back to doing homework. Like I needed the outlet. I, even when I was building class pass, like I needed to dance because the it just switched my brain, right, from right to left, whatever it might be. And it actually, I think, opened up my brain to even being smarter in other areas because I was utilizing other parts of my mind. Mm -hmm. And so I think that's like, that's on that in terms of, let's see, dating. Wait, oh, yeah, you, but also, because a lot of people, maybe they go into a new situation, they never know how to start. Yeah. So whether it was initially, you know, classivity or and then eventually class pass or creating on a serious academic campus, a dance. Yeah, group. Group. Club, yeah. When you're sitting there, how do how do you go? How do I start? Yeah. What's your how do you just? It, you know, for me, it really comes down to talking to other people. So, like, I think for me, and I think ClassPass started this way. Everything in my life, so my dance company started this way. Chumak started this way. It was talking to two, three other people who are like, "Hey, like, I want to do that too." And I think I was like a natural leader, which is actually really funny because in my childhood, I, I have like my mom is like a super, like she's a dominant human being, like in a great way. And I think it was a great role model for me. My sister is too. Like I was actually the quiet one in my family. So I never thought I was going to be like this great leader. But like all of a sudden I went to MIT and I was leading like dances and I was leading a club. But I think it came down to, oh, they want this too. Let's all go and figure out how we're going to do this. And so it really, for me, would a lot of it comes down to having a team that's passionate about the same mission. I think what I was always really good at was like articulating what that mission vision could be and kind of building the passion towards it and then recruiting people to be like, I'm going to come with you and do it. Yeah. And I think that's sort of what happened with that. And, and you know, I it's still hard for me to say this because – you know, I've been trained to be such an analytical person, but like I was talented in dancing and it, it still takes me like so hard. It's so hard for me to say that because I've been trained to be such like a, like to. I'm to, smart. I'm hardworking. Exactly. Yeah. And to not really always loud my, like any of my creative pursuits, but everyone, I but was a good dancer but, since And I it's was a younger. gift. Yeah, right? exactly. So in a way you're not saying it's about me, <laughs> you're given a gift. Right. And I, I think that sometimes learning humbly how to be grateful for the gift and say, you know, I seem to have a talent for this. Exactly. Um, yeah. I think is, is okay. So the first day, like, I'm just curious, cause I, I've done a couple things where you start, you know, when you go into a room for the first day and you don't sort of know who's going to be there and sort or, you know, or what's going to yeah. happen. Is it okay? We're going to, we're going to figure this out and organize it. Cause a lot of this, this moment of yeah. walking in and being like, this is what we're doing. Yeah. Are you a person who writes down like, the plan, like you have your music yeah, ready. Yeah, I, I do. Like I do a lot of pre-planning. If I'm going to choreograph or if I'm even having a meeting, like I I'm, I like to be organized about what's going to happen. That doesn't mean you can like, you know, have a meeting to just get things done without the creativity and without right. like the actual magic of what needs to happen in the room. Actually, even as like a dancer, I learned that. I used to like over choreograph and then like not, I would just like be teaching. And eventually I realized so much of the magic happens like while I'm just in the studio with the girls. Like mm. That's when it would happen. And and even building a company, like, I mean, I thought my first product was going to work. And I was like, this is what we're going to do. This is what we're going to do. And after a year, we launched it. And it completely failed. And I think it was – I've, I've, in a way, done both. And I've learned to not be so, you know, I guess in Myers-Briggs, like, it's, it's a J, right? It's the J mentality to be like this. And I've learned to – 
still be organized, trust other people with certain things too, but also realize my job is also to kind of guide a little bit. So I've learned to do that dance, but I'm I'm very much a, like if someone else is going to do it, I'll do it. Like yeah. I'm very much like a everything needs to get done on the list. So yeah. who's doing what, you know, and I like to know that part, but I still want to dream and strategize. And that comes from a little bit of the time that's not planned. And that dance group still exists. Yeah. So so the one on campus yeah. at MIT still which is exists. Amazing. Which is, yeah. I mean, I it's uh I think I was looking it up the other day and like I think I wrote a mission statement for the company and and I guess in when did I go to in two thousand and two and it's still up there. And yeah. I'm like, wow, like that's amazing. I was actually someone else like reached out to me the other day and she was like, I danced in it and and I was like, what? And she's obviously like, you know, ten years younger than me. But I was like, wow, that's it's really amazing. You know, yeah. that, like you said, if you just start something and it 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 resonates with other people, that's really what it comes down to. And I think I always think about my work that way is to build stuff that is timeless, which means that it should outlast me, yeah. right? And I think that's the beauty when you know you've created stuff that's really there for the people to of the world to have. So I do, I have to, I do want to get into like what the expectation was when you were younger yeah. and then going into MIT, were your parents sort of like preferring that you date within your culture or how did that work? Yeah, I mean, I think um, that was what they would feel the most comfortable with, yeah, sure. right? And I mean, look, like in India, most people are used to like arranged marriages. Yeah. Let's be honest. My parents actually had a love marriage. People are like, aren't all marriages love? I'm like, no, they had a love marriage. They ran away together and like they fell in love in seventh grade. So they already were sort of like different in the way that they thought about it. But obviously like they had taken a big risk and, you know, and they're also influenced by the society they're around, right? And so in their minds, it was okay, like, the, you know, you guys should marry this person. My sister got married when she was younger, right after college. So she got married like 10 years. She's only two and a half years older than me, but got married 10 years before I did. Wow. So like there was this period of time. And, you know, when we were younger, it was really mostly about education and do not date. Mm -hmm. But there comes this point when like you enter, I guess, like right after college where all of a sudden the emphasis for a lot of Indian girls becomes – yeah okay, like, if, don't worry about your education so much. Like, go and find a man because – and it's a very interesting rhetoric and it just shifts. Like, we talk about this all the time. I'm like, wait a second. Like, you told me to be successful and now, like, success to you is me getting married and having kids? Wait, what? Like, yeah. it is it is a, a complete shift, right, in anyone. And, you know, being an ambitious woman, all of that. I mean, you don't even know this when you're in your early 20s. So when you start getting these voices in your head, you really have to find a mechanism – to protect yourself and fight through it. Because yeah, I could have been like, all right, great. Like my my purpose in life is to get married and have a kid, which obviously I have that now and I love it. But like, I still wanted to create impact and create and do so much with the lessons I had learned and the experience I had had from, you know, MIT. And at that point, I guess I was entering Bain, but it was an interesting, it was actually one of the hardest parts of my twenties. I, I say this in the book and I, mm -hmm. I really do um, think this is true. When I look back, I think my biggest regret is I worried too much about boys. Like I didn't enjoy some of these unbelievable moments with like my dance company like selling out a show or class pass like, you know, working and like going viral because inside I was like, wait, am I incomplete because I'm not married and I'm single? Oh, come you know? on. You, yeah. you had that voice inside? Absolutely. And it's, it's, it's a hard voice, you know. And, and by the way, it is because – we were trained in this way to think that's what meant or that's what accomplishment and success meant, you know? And and I do think it's still out there. I think a lot of girls do this, not even Indian girls. I think there is a big part of society that tells the story to us that 
you know, you need to have like a loving family and, and have kids and all that. And by the way, like I said, it, it, it's great. But like, I do think it's important to say that there's two sides of it. Mm-hmm. And there are and and like, time, you know, obviously, we all have a timing issue. Like I get it with kids. Yeah, and there's all that. biology and there's, to consider. <laughs> of course, you know, yeah. and I understand that. But I, I think we need to realize that there are different ways. And, you know, people are much older having kids now, like there are many options. And at the end of the day, it's don't feel inadequate. Don't feel insignificant. Like that's the hardest part. And I I still look back on it and I'm like, wow, like I really did. Like I really would be like crying because I was like for some, you know, for something when like the greatest thing in the world happened at my company, you know, and I'm like, wow, how could I have such a yin and a yang happening in my mind coming from something that like literally wasn't that important actually at the time, you know? And I think at some point I built a really good system. I mean, it was, and I, I go into this in the book mm-hmm. with my mom, like there came a point where I was like, mom, like, I don't want to talk about this. And I would have to be like, mom, I love you so much. I'm going to go. Cause it just became this conversation that was like overpowering my brain and my mind. And, and like, you don't, no one wants to feel alone. Right. And like, when you see all your friends, if they're dating someone, you don't want to be that person. And then you're like, oh yeah, like I'm the girl building a company. Am I different? Am I, am I weird for doing what I'm doing? Like I'm sitting here working all day, not dating. Um, they're all like happily going on trips and stuff. And so you start feeling like you're doing something wrong. Right. Mm. And I think we, I just want there to be more people who are doing kind of the route I did because it'll become more normalized to be like, yeah, I spent my twenties working my butt off, like doing so many great things, you know, and, and Hey, everything still worked out in the end. Well, and I think if people follow their hearts and also are realistic, it's like this weird mixture of being calculated and a dreamer, which that's why you're an, yes. a very good example yes. of this, yeah. where you have enough whimsical, but you're like, uh-huh, but we're still going to... Pragmatic about it. Correct. Yeah. Is I just don't think we arrive at the wrong place when we do that. Yeah. I think, and I know that it is harder because of the biology for women where men have a little bit more time, obviously. But I, I do think that's a very important thing to remind women. I used to talk to... Uh, a friend of mine who's an executive, sort of this kick-ass executive about sort of really teaching young women, listen, it's not about having it all because I, you know, that's an unfair thing that they totally. talk about, but sort of saying, Hey, let's, let's look at the landscape. Yep. If you're going to do this undertaking, then this is going to take a backseat yeah, for a while. Right. And that's okay. It's not having it all at the same time. Correct. You can have it all. It's just not at the same time. Right. And it, cause it's unrealistic. Like, Oh, it's not fair. No, it is what it is. Yep. But then saying maybe if you're a young mother, then you think, Oh, now I've got to try to go find myself in yeah. my late thirties and forties. The, what are the prices and penalty for that? Or, you know, vice versa. So I think it's a, it's a really important example to sort of quiet all the voices because yeah. you're the one. Yeah. Right? Like you're the one who's got to be in the marriage. Yeah. You're the one who's going to raise the child I mean, I or didn't children. I think about for so long, I didn't even think about what, what I you want? wanted in a man because I was like, what do my parents want me to marry? And that, like even figuring that out took me until like my late 20s because I didn't even understand. I was more passionate about dancing and my work that I didn't even realize that like it was not a priority to me. The only reason it was like a conversation I probably, and the only reason I even probably went on dates was because of society's expectations. Not because I wanted to do, I mean, I was, I was like thriving in the things I was doing at that time. You know, I loved my day to day. It just, I felt when I would look around, I'd be like, wait, like the, I always remember this, the holidays were so hard for me. 
because oh, yeah, and those stupid ads and stuff. Well, it just like it became the, t- the stupid ads. It just it's became like, the only time where I couldn't turn to work because like everyone stops working. Yeah, where right. like my work fueled me so much that I never, I never ever like thought about like the fact that I didn't have someone. But all of a sudden on the during the holidays, and it's actually funny because that's when I built the whole life pass method and goal setting time because I felt it. Because everyone, you know, in the holidays, like, oh, I'm going away and I'm going to my family. And I was sudden, you know, I got to a point where I'm like, wait, I'm all by myself. And I have my company and it's about to succeed, but I'm all by myself. And that's when, like, it did take me a second to be like, wait, maybe I went a little too far. You know, it had been like five years since I had been, like, just working on my company. And I'm like, maybe I need to reevaluate how, at this point in my life, I could prioritize some other things. And that's what I started doing. And that's actually why I built the method I did because I totally agree with you. I was like – it didn't make sense up until that point for me to want to even care about this stuff. But now I want to start. But let me at least do it the right way. And you're in way. a way that I think that is going to work for me. And not yeah. a way that comes from someone else's expectations, but comes from a way of how do I want to approach dating and love. Right. Not like from one of those movies where you see like snippets of every the moms at home and the boys coming for dinner, all these different boys, oh, yeah. you know, one after the next after the next. And you just see. Oh, yeah. So, OK, so you are at Bain and you talk about it in the book where you got your sort of first less than perfect review yeah. because you opted, on, you know, to go to a dance show yeah. over sort of something to do with clients. And after that, you you decide, OK, take some time off. You get inspired. You start thinking, okay, okay. You and you talk about this a lot. There were no entrepreneurs around you in, right. in New York, so that and that's sort of also not the way you were probably conditioned. Yeah, 100%. you're not freewheeling. It's like, hey, you go into these big. You're in this big institution. Yeah. You step out and you talk about giving yourself a very short period of time, which is unusual. Yeah, to say like, if I don't, I'm going to come up with an idea, and you're looking for a class. It's a pain in the butt. It takes a lot of hours doesn't happen, you have this sort of epiphany. When the idea comes, because a lot of businesses always talk about solving problems, yeah. either filling a gap for a need or solving a problem, which obviously can be one and the same. How do you think you already have business experience, but what is the first step for you? Because it was initially, it wasn't class pass. Right. How do you start? How do you go, you know what, there's something here. How do you beat it down, shake it down, yeah. and then start the to put this together. So, I mean, first, like you said, I gave myself two weeks. So it took me, it took me, and the reason I did that was because I think I knew I needed to make a career change. And so if it wasn't like this crazy entrepreneurial thing, mm-hmm. then it was probably maybe like, okay, go look at like another job more in the field I was in, right? Like more maybe conservative than what I ended up doing. Mm-hmm. But I kind of wanted to, I wasn't in like a rush to do it. So I was kind of like, give give myself two weeks to like get my brain to focus on like ideas and problem solving and like, you know, I wasn't around entrepreneurs aside from when I went out to San Francisco. It just was a new and interesting concept. And I talk a lot about this too in the book. When you do maybe need a shift, if you're like, I don't know what I want to be doing, change your environment sometimes. Be around different people. Try new activities because you never know what can happen. And that clearly happened to me too. And so when I got back and I had this idea, um, I mean, my my like Bain research, like, you know, business I went into – um, doing some customer research. Like I did do a little bit of like, I took three months and I did this. I did some market research because I like or interviewed my friends to see like if they would like an idea like this. And I was researching models like OpenTable and Seamless Web that had existed during the time that were similar to the concept I was formulating at the time about ClassPass. So I was doing a lot of like just research on learning. I feel like sometimes we forget that that's the most important part is just like, hey, does this idea exist even out there? 
who's doing it? How did Open Table even get started? Where mm-hmm. did they start? Right, because then I didn't even know how to start, but like I needed to know how did they start? You know, what did they do? And that was one big part of it. Second part was team. So I think it comes down to, I don't know, for me, it always comes down to just like being super passionate about something and talking about it. And then the people who want to talk about it and think it's interesting to start talking to you too, right? And the people who aren't interesting will kind stop of talking to you about it. Yeah. yeah. And like I had my, my co founder, um, who was one of my childhood friends, like I went to dinner with him and we talked about it. I woke up in the morning and he had shot me like, 15 text messages about the concept. Like that's kind of what I mean. It's like there are people who just gravitate towards things that you're doing and ideas that you're doing. And he was like, I want to give you money. Like how how do I invest in what you're doing? And you know, at that time I wasn't really even seeking money, right? Because everyone always, obviously you're like, you need to raise money. And this wasn't like when entrepreneurship was a thing. Like we didn't really know what these models look like at all. So I had just friends who were like, hey, because of, you know, I had a good background, right? Like everyone sure. was like, okay, you, everything you've you. done, you've done well. Yeah. If you have this idea, like I would bet on you to create this. And so I started kind of getting friends and family checks. So a lot was of people. Was that stressful at um, all? You know, it wasn't stressful until I would say later in the process. Like I think the burden of money is just hard. Like it's a responsibility, if mm-hmm. that makes sense. It you does. Know? That's why I wonder because sometimes when people say like, I want to give you a check, it's like this weird. Yeah. Because you want to protect feel it them. Because but... I think I knew, I don't know, at that point in my life, like I had had, you know, I had left Bain at that point. I was working mm-hmm. in the music industry and I had built a dance company that was like thriving in the middle of, of the city. I think I just felt really confident that anything I was going to do, I was going to do well. Like I wasn't going to let anything hold me back. Like people always ask me, like, did you think you were going to quit in the process of creating classes? And we've failed many times. Sure. And I was like, no, I wasn't going to stop until I figured that out. And I will keep doing it. And I feel like that, I knew that from the beginning. So I actually didn't feel bad taking anyone's money at that time. Obviously, I didn't want to take a, like, a lot of money from anyone, but I was – very much like, yeah, great, you know, and obviously didn't want like I wasn't letting anyone bet their like last dollar on me, right. but um, it was still like venture, right, at the end of the day. But I had people who were like, hey, here's some money. And it was it was an interesting time because I was I wasn't even fully ready for that. You know, I was like, okay, I'm gonna I'm putting the idea together. I started like I built I got like a website name. It was actually called Dabble Now in the beginning. Um, I went and bought like a, a do- domain name on GoDaddy. I had this like web developer who had built my dance company website. And I was like, hey, like, can we just do some mock-ups of like what the site could look like? And so I was just playing. Like mm-hmm. I was literally just spending like a little bit of money, a little bit of my time. Were you still living in New York? I was still living in New York. I still had a job. I had a full-time job, yeah. you know? And so, mm-hmm. yeah, I had like expenses, all of that. And so after about three, four months of doing that, that was when I got to this moment where I remember just like showing up to work because I still had this like corporate job I was showing up to. Mm-hmm. And I was like, I cannot be here anymore. And I was so sad. And I talked to my mom about it. And she was like, quit, which was a really important moment for me, given we you know like the expectations of my parents. And I did want to make them proud because of the sacrifice that they had made in their life. Mm-hmm. I felt like I could fly when she gave me that permission. Her blessing. And that's when I decided to quit. And I think the day I quit my job was like really the start of all of this because I could go all in on what I was going to be doing and like really focus and and move forward on like building the website, you know, getting more money if I needed to, coming up with the full strategy. But while I was still working, I was kind of still up and down, right? right. That being said, because people always ask me, they're like, should I quit my job? Every company is different, right? Every business is different. I knew with what I was building and like my comps of like Open Table, Seamless Web, ZocDoc, like this was like like a billion, multi-billion dollar concept that required me to be all in from day one, mm-hmm. right? I wasn't building, 
I wasn't building something like smaller than that, right? And uh, but there are other businesses that don't necessarily need that, right? Right. And you I weren't think, opening a restaurant. Yeah, exactly. You were doing and something. I, so I always say like it, there comes a point because people have side hustles all the time, and and I think it's a matter of like you said priorities, and and I talk a lot about this in the book too. Sometimes you have to do it as a side hustle until the point where you're you are financially able to take that leap. And I before that day before I quit my job, my dad and I sat down. We created a full budget on my life. Like I went through all the money I'd, I had saved at that point. I had six years of of savings, and in those six years, like I lived in a small apartment. I didn't travel. I didn't go shopping. Like I was not the person going out to dinner because once again, I was always very hyper-prioritized on the things I wanted to do, which I was basically dancing and working. Like I, you know, I did that in college and I think that's a big part of the reason I am who I am today. And I didn't feel guilty about like missing a bunch of other stuff. Okay. But I want to just say one thing that I, I think is, um, inspiring. I, if I'm remembering correctly in your book, you talked about, you rented out a space for 30 grand, I think it was, yes. right? Oh, yeah, the Ailey so show. here you're yeah. not shopping and, yeah. you know, going to Bergdorf's. But that's what I'll spend money on. But you're busting out 30 grand. Yes, And you right. got your money back and yep. maybe made, who knows, yeah. a little extra on top. But I'm just saying within that, there were moves and, and a recommitment and a little bit of risk right. into your, your real into passion. Into what I love. Yes. And I think that's what it really comes down to is, like, what is money worth to you? What are you willing to risk it on, right? And I think in a weird way, I knew I loved dance and art and all that stuff so much that I was like, at some point in my life, I'm going to do something and I would rather spend that dollar whenever that opportunity came, right? And so going back to it, it's it's okay if you have a side hustle, but like know what the plan is, right? Like know what you're saving towards or you're coming up with a plan. So that moment when you're like, I really know what I want to do. You, I think money is one of the most constraining things, you know? And I, I think a lot of times, a lot of people don't go for their dreams because of it. And look, you can't just jump off of a cliff and be like, I'm not going to make any money. You have, everyone has responsibilities, all of that. I think it comes down to creating a plan that gives you the freedom to live in pursuit of what you love to do. And I didn't know I was actually doing that earlier on. I was just naturally doing it because I had this huge thing I loved in my life that I just was able to make those trade-offs earlier. And then when that moment came, like my, my dad and I sat down, I had three years to live off of. To go that's and really good. Yeah, and three years. <laughs> I know. I, I mean, I like I I remember thinking back to it, and he was like, for three years, like go for this, go for this company, you know. And and I think we forget, like mentally, for me, being in a place where I could focus one hundred percent on my company and think about think about if I was like, okay, like I have to go and like do a job from you know, even if it was like for three, four hours a day to make money. I mean, yeah. we all know like how, what a job does to you mentally. Like it comes with emotional stress. Like there's politics, like all of that. Like, you know, a sense of, am I doing a good job? Like all, I didn't have to have any of that eating at my brain. I got to focus 100% on building and solving this problem I wanted to solve. You know, seeing you, obviously you probably put a pretty intense framework around the process, seeking mentors, doing research, I would imagine your days were filled with this, even though I know you're, you're dancing at night and on the weekends, this is a full-time and beyond job. Yes. You, you, I'm imagining you worked harder at this than anything ever. Yes. I mean, building a company, it's something which in my mind, I, I mean, I think about how big it is now and it, it's like, it's unbelievably humbling because like, I remember just being like, I want to just get somebody to class. It was like just such a simple, simple thing of, and, you know, even in the beginning, I, I thought I would just do it in New York City. Like, I didn't even mm. think about this idea as, like, this global concept right in the beginning, right? I just was like, 
I want to find a dance class. Okay, there's other people in the city and there's so many classes. Like, how do we build this like easy thing? Because I even at the time, I think Seamless Web was only in New York City at the time right. too. And so it it was just such an, in a weird way, an innocent idea. Like I really think of it that way. But, and I think about it now, obviously, and, you know, I've taken classes with people in, in, you know, Hong Kong, I didn't even speak the same language at them, but I know they are getting the same exact thing I am out of that class. Like that's when I was like, this was actually a human behavior problem, right? Like a hu- a challenge to get people to try new things, to feel comfortable working out, to make working out fun because a lot to a lot of people it's like an obligation. And all of that, like I didn't even know I was solving all of that as I was doing it, but I was always trying to help people find what dance was in my life, in their life. Right. Which, whatever that means, right? Right. It was. I knew everyone didn't want to dance. Right. Spinning could be their dance exactly. or whatever. It was and, movement. It was this emotional, mm-hmm. spiritual unlock for them, right? The state of flow. And we forget, like, as we get become adults, right? I think I always look back and I remember when I thought of this idea, I'm like, I know I have to do this because I was that girl at, you know, 26-year-old in, inviting my whole company to see a dance show and everyone's like, what? That's what you're doing on the weekend? And I'm like, yeah, come and watch me dance. I'm like performing on Saturday night. And, you know, like sending out emails to for people to buy tickets to my show. And people are like, what are you doing this week? And I'm like, I have rehearsal from like 9 to 12. And then I have like to go do fittings. And then I have to go back to rehearsal. Like that was what I did Saturday. I didn't go to brunch or any of that. And I think I lived by a different drumbeat. But I remember people being like, you're so happy and like you're so full of energy. And yeah. it's because I fueled my soul with things that I loved, which was that. And I, I think I wanted other people, especially like when I would talk to my friends and I felt like they'd be like, They'd be waiting for like a promotion at work or like to get married and have kids. And I'm like, how did that become our sense of like achievement and goals? And I was like, I have a show coming up in three weeks. And like that drive that I felt gave me everything, you know, and I, I, you know, whether people were athletes, like I knew people who were like unbelievable athletes in college and then they just didn't do their sport ever again. Yeah. And I'm like, wait a second, like that gave you something that made you who you are. And it will continue to help you thrive. Why? Why? Why did we just erase these these places in our lives? And it was all of that that fueled this idea that I what I really wanted to build for the world. And all of that basically was packaged into what we ended up building with ClassPass. And initially, you have a there's some incredible story that you said. To date, I don't. I mean, I can't imagine how many is it. 60 million, I don't know how many, you know, sort of classes, reservations you guys We've booked over 100 made. million reservations. Okay, so, yeah. I mean, a ton. And, but initially you, you said that within the first three years you had booked a uh, hundred, no, like, well, I don't want to say. In the first, uh, the first product, yes. did a hundred. Yes. Okay. And this, we, which is so sad. The next one did 20,000. And then the next product, because we had few products that were going. But like, yes. yeah, I mean, in the first two, three years, it was 100 reservations total. Okay, so let's let's <laughs> let's just look at that for a second. What are you thinking? Are you, because it, you know, sometimes you're in a vacuum. Yeah. When you're doing a new business yeah. and you, you understand the numbers and you understand and getting from here to there, that bridge, how do you get to that end user and connect them and all of these mm-hmm. things. Are, you know, at night when you're probably up noodling it, thinking about it, being concerned about it. What what are you saying to yourself? Yeah, you mean in the moments of like the hard times when you're or, getting your ass kicked? Yeah, being an entrepreneur. Well, so here's the problem: I didn't know I was getting my ass kicked until I got my ass kicked. Like right, like it was one of those things where for the first year, I thought I was doing everything right. I talk a lot about this in the book, but I call them false signals of success, which are things like. I had raised money, right? Oh, people gave me checks. Oh, I was getting press because I was like a woman in tech. Like I got into this huge incubator program. Like everything was signaling 
that we would succeed, right? We were just then like building a beautiful product and, you know, people were saying that they would use the product. So I was getting email addresses. I mean, everything seemed to be going well. Then we launched and that was, that was like game over, right? That was the moment. And this was, it took me a year to launch, which like I tell every entrepreneur this now, please launch quicker than that. Like do not take a year to build something, especially if you're building a business like ClassPass, which had to do with like human behavior. All that mattered was getting someone a class. It didn't matter how many classes I had listed on there, how the technology worked underneath Didn't there. you have like a million classes? How many we classes? Like, yeah, we had a million classes it's amazing. on that first one. Awesome, first okay. One. And we were like scraping this data. We were like, we had people like, like you know, literally updating it daily to make sure the like, schedules were, were up to date. I mean, we were doing so much work that was so unnecessary at the time. And like I said, no one was even booking any classes. So, I mean, I think in that moment when that happened, I was – scared, but I was scared more from the sense of, oh my God, like I need to make sure I have enough money to figure this out, right? I got to make sure I can, I could, I could still pay people. It took me a few meetings with like a few entrepreneurs that, you know, like I said, at this time, it's not like I could, there wasn't that many people, right? So like I had a few people guiding me and advising me. And one of them had said to me, they were like, pile, like this is on you. You still have money in the bank. Go and try something new. And like this idea even, I was like, wait, can I try something new? Like it's scary, right, to throw away something. But I was like, you know what? You're right. Like I had not solved the problem that I had gone out to. Like no one was going to any classes. Like I wanted to give dance to all these people. What am I doing? Having the site wasn't working. And that's when, you know, I think the team and I, we just got together and we started going to classes. So we started going, and this was like the time when all these boutique classes started mm-hmm. coming about. So there was like a Pilates class. Where were we like spinning. 2013, This is 14? 2000 and, um, 2013. Okay. You know, and so this is right when the boutique fitness craze mm-hmm. about to happen. Every single studio is giving away free class, right? Like they're, they just want people in the door. There's literally a new one being open, like, because SoulCycle had just sort of done its phenomenon. So everyone's like, I want to do that too. And like wellness was becoming a huge thing. It was great. And so we started seeing that and we had built like this website, but we were like, wait, this is not working. And so we decided that we would package together a bunch of these free classes for a month for people. So we called it the passport and we were still called, actually at this time we were called Classivity. We had changed right. our name for legal reasons at that time, but we were called the Classivity Passport. People had a month to go and try different classes. And now we had something. And the magic of this was the variety, which was something, once again, we just kind of stumbled upon. We weren't like, oh, hey, like this is what's going to happen. Like you don't always know these things. And this is why like I think when you build products like this, you have to play. And I think this is also what helped me get rid of like this J personality I a little bit had. And I was like, wait, I need to learn from what's going on. And what we quickly started realizing is people loved going like, a spin class on Monday, a dance class Wednesday, yoga class Friday. And they loved it so much. They were trying to buy this product we had for a month over and over again. What do you mean like shystering you? Yeah, they were prodding us. Like they were signing up with like different email addresses and the studio owner would call us yelling at us being like, hey, you like you told me like like ex customer couldn't come back. And we were like, wait, they like they could not technically come back from like the way we had built the product. Sherry was there again. Yeah, exactly. And, and you know, they weren't getting paid because these were free complimentary classes. So we were like, wait a second, what is going on? We started looking at the data, started seeing how like people were like literally like messing up with their Gmail addresses. It was like the same exact user. Mm-hmm. And we're like, oh my God. Um, and so then instead of, and I remember like the initial reaction was to like send an email being like, you can't do this. Like kind of yell at people. We have right? another offer for you. Right. And that's <laughs> when I was like, wait a second, like, do they want to be a subscription? And so we started doing more market research 
And 90% of people said, 95% of our customers said they wanted to try this product monthly. So they wanted to do this variety thing that we thought was just going to be like a month phenomenon. And then you would pick your favorite studio. They were hooked on the variety thing. They wanted to do that over and over again. And, you know, our initial reaction was, okay, wait a second. Like, how are we going to get the studios on board? How are we going to price this thing? I mean, we didn't know any. I mean, this is like creating something from scratch, right? But back to your like earliest question on this, like what kept me going and like kept me moving was like every single time that I, and I would get an email every single time someone went to class. And it felt so good. If Like I'm t- I, I jumped for joy that first reservation that got booked like on the site, mm. you know, and I think every reservation after that felt like, because I had fought so hard for it, right? And I think that's part of why this journey felt, you know, like I think ended up having the resilience it did was because it was so hard in the beginning. I feel like if I didn't reach that part where I didn't figure it out in the beginning, I wouldn't have gotten to the point where I had, it's almost like we were talking about with the younger, like when we were younger and face adversity, yeah. it makes you appreciate. You're grateful. You know, you're grateful. I think I was so grateful because it was so hard in the beginning. And that's why I fought for every reservation. And you're more into, you're more intimate with your business because of that. I think people don't understand the magic of like when you really become intimate with your project. Mm-hmm. And the only way to do that yeah. is to not do it right. Yeah. Um, so you have this different relationship yeah. with with your idea, but but when you're in that in that difficult time and people are like you know maybe you should wrap it up and oh it's going to cost so much money and all this stuff, where do you get the fortitude to keep believing in yourself? Is it also having a team that's like hey we're going to figure this out? Because I think a lot of people this is where they start to fold. People yeah. go this is too hard or it doesn't work or it wasn't the right idea. Yeah. Okay, well you know. I mean, this is a pretty simple answer, but I I 100% believe in it. It's because I cared about the mission. And honestly, if I cared about it any less, I wouldn't have kept going. Mm. I cared to figure out this problem for the world. And I think when a lot of people start companies today without really caring about what problem they're solving in the world, they are going to stop and they are going to give up when that challenge gets tough because it's going to. There's I don't know any company that just like everything just worked out immediately. But I think it's when you care so deeply about the work you're doing. Mm-hmm. It's just you're not really waking up every day to 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 like fight and like fight against doubt. You're like, no, I have to change the world. Like how do I keep going? Because people need me. I want to make an impact on the world. It's a very different drive. And that really did keep me going, you know. I think I knew I had to do it and I didn't look back. And I think in those moments I had people – who would remind me of that? I think that's really what it comes down to. And honestly, like that's why I always kept dancing through it. And I kept going to class and I would see it. And I I felt everything for the teachers and the studio owners. And I could feel what was going on with the customers. And I'm like, this is pure magic. I think the most important time for me was when, after we had launched the subscription, it was like three months in. And look, and now back are to, you class pass now? Or no, are you we're class still class activities. Okay. 2013. Okay. We're still, we launched this subscription idea. It was called the Classivity Class Pass because we were still Classivity at the time. But in terms of intimacy, like I, I actually really love that point that you said. And and honestly, you're right. Like when I first launched that first product, I was not intimate with it. It was like this big, let me build open table. It was like this road show. It was kind of fancy. 
And when we talk about intimacy, like this is when we started building Passport to ClassPass, and this is this is my this is the time I became an entrepreneur. These these nine months, I remember going into like the database, putting in like inventory, the schedule data. I was doing it personally, right? Because I had to like let go so much of my team. Mm-hmm. We needed to make sure we were good on the cash that we still had. I would go in fulfill reservations. I was doing customer service. I could see like the same user booking that class, canceling it, booking it again. Like I remember being like, "Wait, this person just booked it and then canceled it." So we started having this like 15-minute delay because we were like, "Wait a second. We're like seeing the behavior of what people are doing. Like they want they keep they try something, they cancel it, they try something, cancel it. We're like, "Let's wait 15 minutes before we even book it because this is a waste of our time if we're going and like making that reservation and then canceling it with the, because we were doing everything manually. We were like literally calling up the studio being like, hey, um, Sherry's going to come to your Barry's Bootcamp class. Like we were doing all of this on our own, you know? And so it was one of those things where that's that's when I felt intimate with my product, right? Mm-hmm. Because I, I could feel the heartbeat of those reservations. I knew when they were coming in. I knew what time they were coming in. I knew how they were coming in. I knew why people wanted to go to class, right? And on top of that, three months into launching the product, and I always thought I would know that something was succeeding because I had like thousands of customers, right? You always have this idea like in the tech world, like it's about like when people say the word thousands and millions and like, oh, that's when you've actually made an impact. Mm -hmm. I got a few emails. Like I remember it was like five emails and it was these stories of people, like these, these testimonials that people were just writing because they wanted to tell us how much this product changed their life. And in those emails, I'm like, this is the magic. We had given them dance. Like I was like, this is it. We, we created magic. And that's when the product went viral because all those people were telling everyone else to use it, right? right? So it was like every person, we were doing all the testing at the time, every person was telling five other people. So like it was just growing. Like we had to make sure we could keep up with the inventory. And so it was just, it became like a very, very fast moving situation. And then we had to shut down our other products because we still had them like in, in, you know, in sort of commission. And in uh, March of 2014, we finally changed our name from uh, Classivity to ClassPass. And we like shut down the other products and then we were ClassPass ever since then. So you, you guys are thriving and expanding. Where does Nick fit into this? Where <laughs> does he enter and how is there time I met for him? him or? Two weeks before we changed our name to ClassPass, actually. Oh, wow. Um, and, you know, going back to the a little bit of what I was talking about, like I created a method in my life during a really hard time. It was right before, it was right in the middle of all this. It was like, it was right when I think class was probably six months old at this time. I knew I had built something that was going to take over the world. Like at that, because I felt it in this in the user stories. And I remember feeling like I had I had in a weird way like checked something off. Maybe I had in my brain. Like I think I knew all this hard work I had been putting on got to a point, which helped me during then this was holiday break. My parents like were in India, my sister was in Boston, like everyone in the world was gone. I decided to tag along with like a friend's family to the Caribbean because I was like, I gotta go somewhere, like everyone's gone. And I remember being like, whoa, okay, like maybe it's time for me to like focus on some other aspects of my life in a different way. And that's when I started reflecting on like my last year, my my coming year. And, you know, I have a whole process I go through in the book about goal setting, and this was one of it. And for me during that time, I had put something about longevity. And I remember putting that word in there and it tied to relationships for me and about stability and I'm like, I want someone who's going to like make me stronger and stable, not like not something crazy and whatever, because my life was crazy, right? <laughs> crazy yeah. enough. And 
I remember being like, I'm going to date. And this was now on my terms. Like I remember like this wasn't my mom leading this conversation. This was coming out of me. And I had put in there, I'm like, okay, I'm going to like ask three friends for like to introduce me to people. I'm going to try and go out like once a week. Because I was like so busy with work. Like my Friday nights were like me sitting there working on my laptop with like my co-founder. Like well, that, that was exciting for us. So I was like, okay, I'm going to try and go out a bit more. And so a month later, literally on my birthday, my friend is having a Super Bowl party. Uh, and, you know, I just started started this. I had gone on a few dates. Like January? Uh, my birthday's February 2nd. Okay. So it was like literally a month a month okay. in to the year. And um, I go to the Super Bowl party. And, you know, once again, like I'm not, like I don't, I'm not, it's a Sunday night. I'm like, oh my God, <laughs> I have to go and do work. Um, and Nick walks in during halftime. And we just kind of locked. And I stayed out till like, one that morning like I never do, would do that on Sunday because I'm like always working and we just kept talking and I'd met him on that Sunday and like literally I think we like we kept dating through like because he was only in uh New York City for a week at that time we saw each other literally like every day that week and that's big know, for it you was like it was just this you know I think what was so amazing about that moment in my life is that that voice of feeling inadequate, it was gone. Like, I think part of it was because I knew I had built this. Like, I just knew. And by the way, class was small at the time. Like, we had a thousand customers. Yeah. But inside, I was like, I had, I've done something. And I was like, I don't need anything else. And so I was like, if I find someone, like, I want it to add to my life, not complete me. And that's when I, got, I met the right person. Like, it was just this shift where I was like so, so confident and so solid in who, and I felt so full. And then obviously someone walked into my life. You know, it's interesting when you when you say, because I think sometimes people don't, they think it's like a, an immediate, I think sometimes we can work on things, even, yeah. our, even our health, let's yeah, say. Yeah, 100%. Where the results, they are going to come at a different time or later. Um, it isn't always so immediate. So Absolutely. even when you talk about this business, it's like understanding like, hey, we got hammered, we fixed some things, we've dialed into some things. It's going to come. Yeah. Um, and, and even, you, you know, change within our personal lives. I think sometimes we can do a sort of a personal reflection yeah. on things and go, you know, the results of this is going to come. It may not be immediate. Yeah. And, and so I think it's, um, was it like, okay, I'm going to bring Nick home. Like, I love, like, your mom must have been so happy. Oh, yeah. I mean, come I on. I mean, um, and it's funny, right? So me and him are actually different religions. Even though, like, we're Indian, like, he's yes. Sikh, I'm Hindu. Like, yeah. he's Punjabi, I'm Gujarati. We're actually, like, even within yeah. India, within there's, like, it. enough, there's yeah. enough separations. Um, yeah, I mean, we were, it was like a instant sort of connection for the two of us, which was really nice. But I think we both, I mean, he had probably gone through a journey a little bit too. And I think we both just had come to that point in our life where, I don't know, it was it was just like I said, like I think everything in my life brought me to that moment. Mm -hmm. And it was like all the work I had done. And back to like what you were talking about, about iterating a little, like we talk, everyone always asks me about like iterating on my company, but I'm like, I'm all about iterating on myself too. And I will never, whether it's my career, whether it's where I live, like I'm never going to be like, oh, I'm doing this because I fit into some box and I'm not allowed to change. Like something is not working. I am very okay with throwing it out and starting over and and doing something. And I think when you live by that, you you never feel like trapped, you know, and feel like you're like in, I don't know, just like living a routine life. Like I think that, you know, that's actually been hard a little, I would say, over these past few years, like especially with COVID and, you know, and I'm even dealing with motherhood. It's like, how do I keep it moving? And because I love that, I love that sense of of growth, right? And I think part of the methodologies I've created for my life, like even personally, 
it's it's how do I keep doing that, right? Like I want to dance. I want to be a great mom. I want to be a great wife. And I want to keep building and I want to do this. And I agree, like you can't have it all at the same time, mm -hmm. but it's about being like, what do I really want to accomplish right now? What's most important? What's going to fuel my heart and like where I want to go? I'm going to focus on, I'm going to do it well, those things that I decided to do, not feel guilty about doing everything else. And I'm going to go for it. I'm going to do well. And then you know what? Next time, and I do a quarterly process. Next quarter, I'm going to focus on some of the other things I didn't get to. Yeah. If those are the things that now feel like they're going to serve me. Anyway, so I feel like, you know, that part of that process was how I started thinking about my life during that time, about what I wanted to prioritize. Even like at that time, I had stopped dancing actually a little bit too, because I was so busy in the iterations of the company. And I'm like, no, 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 I got to get dance back. And even right after I met Nick, I put on my second big show with the 30, like a 30K check again. Um, at the same place. And I, I did that like in the midst of ClassPass literally launching more cities, like meeting my husband and putting on a huge dance show. Like I did that all at the same time. And I know people are like, oh my God, how did, how did you do it? But I'm like, I was like, same thing, prioritized. I was passionate about it yeah. and I had a plan. Yeah. And so I didn't let anything stand in my way. I'm always interested about partnerships. You know, I've been married for I don't know, a long time, 24 years. <laughs> 24 years. Yeah, I've been together. I've We're been with five. my husband. It's, okay. it's great. Yeah. It's I'm also old, a lot older. I'm, you know, several years older than you. Um, I'm always interested in, like, partnerships where people are both, you know, we always I say in my house, like, sometimes I'm the farmer, sometimes I'm the flower. Mm -hmm. You know, it's like we're going back and forth. Yeah. What traits or ways does Nick approach it that allows you the space yeah. Sometimes we get squished in on by domestic living, yeah, right? Oh it just God. it I happens. Yes, yes. Like you're someone's like some yeah. I tell I told my husband, listen, I'll be your wife, I'll do everything a wife does for you. Don't treat me like your wife. Yeah. You know, like treat me like your girlfriend. We're good, we're gonna yeah. be fine. Right. You know. In what ways does he show up that sort of allows this kind of still big space that for you, me, yeah. Yeah, because you're you have a lot of action going Absolutely. on. And then you know, that takes an interesting Okay, the num one of the number one things, and I'll say this, is like he is so good with food. And I know like it's an interesting place, but he loves food. Yeah. He's good with food. I like think of food as like just getting me through the day. I have to eat because like or I'll like not be able to survive. But like I literally and I remember even like a few like I think it was like a month or two ago, I'm like, like even feeding my son is like a stressful experience for me. Like and and I think I've always just like it's just something. It's like I just feel like forced to do it, whatever it is. Yeah. And so he's like, let me do it, you know? And I, I know it sounds – but we, we eat three times a day, right? Like yeah. it's not, he loves food, so he handles it if people come over. Like he's just that person who – I don't have to worry about that. I know that's like such a small thing. It isn't. But it isn't yeah, a small I thing. Just, it, it's, and I've had to have this conversation even with like – even more than Nick with my parents who have been with us. <laughs> I think even the other day, like my mom was like, hey, like did you make Zane lunch? And I'm like, mom, I, I'm never going to be good in the kitchen. Like, let's be honest, right? Like, I'm just never going to be. Like, I'm sorry. Like, that dream of yours is not going to come true. But just accept it at this point. Like, I'm just not going to. And I sometimes I try, but I'm like, what am I doing? Like, I'm never going to be – this is just not my environment. And maybe at some point in my life – and I've even tried to put it into my own, like, goals to be like, I'm going to try to, like, cook once a night or whatever. And it just – I just don't get connected to it. And you know what? <laughs> My husband loves food. So anyway, so that that's like one area. And I know that's it, but it goes back to a deeper thing where he's really nurturing. He loves to host and he is so good with that. So and we always have people over, right? We were just talking about this yeah. earlier. Like I think it's really nice because I am focused. Like I'm one of those people, like if I have like something I'm thinking about, like I literally can like go into my own world. 
And he's just so good about making sure everyone is taken care of, even like my son, if yeah, that makes sense. You know? It does. And I think having that relationship is is awesome. And I, I do think like that's the second thing. He is just such a great father. And I've thought about this. Like it's, you know, and someone was saying this to me the other day because I'm like, wow, like Nick is so good with my, with like with our son. And almost like, you know, we, we do, he even does some of the things that I think a lot of times people would expect me to do. And I'm like, wow. Like, and, and I was thinking about that and I'm like, that's why I probably married him. And my friend said it. And she's like, that's probably why you married him because you knew you were going to yeah. need the space to do the things you're going to do. And like, I would obviously be one of us, rather it be one of us than someone else, you know? And so I'm like, this is great. Like there isn't anything I think my Nick would rather be doing than playing with, with my son. So it's like, yeah, it's, 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 it's awesome. It's you know? well, it's called a partnership. Yeah. And you know, it's interesting. I ha I'm more analytical. My husband's actually more sensitive than yeah. I am. And um, I remember my 18-year-old was probably two or three, and she was on, laying on the floor, and she was like just, what, you know, doing whine, that, yeah. whining or doing, you know, whatever. And I'm like, you know, Re you know, Reese, what do you, are you hungry? Like, do you, what do you want to eat? And he, my husband walked in. He looked at her. He got on the floor. He laid down, and he just gave her a hug. Aww. And I was like, oh, yeah, hug. Okay, that's what she needed. Right, you know, exactly. Like, and you're like, I was like oh, you need to eat. I had the checklist <laughs> out and like, we, yeah, you know, hammered it down. Totally. So I think, you know, the other interesting thing is is when you can be with a partner because you're a lot, mm -hmm. meaning yeah. you have a big life and it's just interesting in a, and even coming from what's would be called traditional. Yeah. So it is interesting. I, that's why I was curious, like, what the hacks are and how it flows between the two of you. We, You know, we have had to talk a lot more, I think, especially, like, it was actually easier, I think, before a kid. I think after a kid, you oh, just have to split a up lot a lot more. Even once we had a home, like, <laughs> you know, actually, the other big thing I would say is I'm really all about delegating. Like, and I was not, I used to feel guilty about it. I don't feel guilty about it anymore. And I think, uh, you know, as a woman, I think we like sometimes feel bad about like if anyone else is cleaning or anyone else is cooking or whatever. Mm -hmm. But at some point I've done like, you know, there was a point in my life where I couldn't afford that. Right. And I was like, I will do everything. I will take the longer walk. I will clean every place because I yeah. can't afford it. Right. Yeah. And I think you just need to figure out where, where you are and put that plan together is an hour of me working more than an hour of me doing something else that is like unnecessary for me to do. Mm -hmm. And I think those are conversations that I think as women, we need to have more of. So we don't feel bad about it. Well, because also what you start to realize is all of that actually comes from the outside. Yeah, right. It's not like you're sitting on the couch eating bonbons. You're working your ass off. Right. But you're saying, hey, my hour spent, maybe I can bring someone in to do this part over here. Right. And I'm curious if he, is he good at sort of saying, hey, you know, I need... I need you to pay attention more to me or yes. like have you, because you, you know, you get down a work rabbit hole yeah. and all of a sudden you're like, I've checked everybody, you know, I'm going, does he go, Hey, put it down over here. Is he yeah, able to he do does, that? Like one of the big things we, we've been talking about this a lot. It's like a, it's like an active topic. So like, <laughs> you know, we're, we've all been home, right. Working. Oh, yeah. So like, he's like all about, you know, we're basically like coworkers. Right. So for like, I'm sometimes during lunch, like I'll be on a call, like while I'm eating and I go into the kitchen and he'll be there or whatever. And like he wants to joke around or something and I'm like working or like on my, you know, like replying to emails or something and he'll just want to hang out and like, and, and we've talked about it and he's like, well, like imagine like you were at work, like wouldn't you want to just hang out with someone? I'm like, oh yeah. Like I have to remember actively to be like, okay, like when I come into the house and if he's there, like we should, I have to like actually pay attention. I'm not necessarily in work mode because I'll just, you know, I don't want him to think I'm ignoring him, but I'm literally like engrossed in some email. And I actually realize this. I cannot multitask. He is really good at multitasking. So he can like write an email and joke around with me. I can't do that. Like I'm gonna be like, 
we, I either didn't wrote like the wrong email or I didn't listen to you. Like I cannot do both. So I've, I've learned to just try and like set aside the time, but it's still hard. I think it's been interesting because we're all always together. Um, oh, well, you ha- you right prior to COVID, you guys had your first child, your yeah. son. I'm curious for you, I've asked a lot of people, you know, versions of this question. And one was like, someone thought like, oh, I, I could keep it all organized and have it all scheduled and it would all just line up. And those big surprises is with when you have a child. Yeah. There's parts of that that go out the window. All of a uh-huh. sudden, they're not getting their, you can't get their shoe on as quick as you wanted to get out the door yeah. at the time. And oh my gosh. They're not, you know, sort of doing, by the way, they never do what you want because that's the great, that's the lesson for the parent. Totally. You know, you learn it's, in that. It's, the, it's the full yeah. surrender. Where have you kind of had your growth as a mom where you're figuring out like, oh, I have this whole thing of, this whole list of things I'm doing for work. I even have some big presentation or meeting because I want to also get into the fact that you guys not only pivoted, but you just recently sold the company to MindBody. Congratulations. Thank you. I love that timing. Come on. (laughs) But that you go, oh, I have this one o'clock and this is serious. And my son, you know, is... Not napping. Yeah. Yeah. Zane's over here just like, hey, where did... How, what have you learned? Yeah. Well, so, okay. I think it comes down to, once again, having help. Like, you know, mm-hmm. whether it's like knowing who is on board, right? So if I have an important meeting, it's like, it's letting someone know whether it's my husband, my, you know, yeah. if I have my yeah. nanny there or if um, my mom's there, just like letting someone know if it's that important, right? Like I had a meeting, I think it was, it was like with the White House and it was in the morning. And I'm like, guys, like, I don't care. Like someone needs to figure this out. You, you know, and I think it's trusting that, right? At some point. And I think that brings me to my second point is there was a point where I was like, wait a second, am I a good mom, right? Like you you go through this like <laughs> conversation. I, I mean, I think every mom has it, right? Where you're like, wait, does he love me? Am I a good mom? And I think my biggest learning was coming up with me feeling, feeling like I know what I'm giving him and feeling confident about with what that is, even though I might be, you know, from like the hours my I have help, like, I'm working, like I'm not interacting with them. My husband plays with them more during the day, but I'm like in my zone. And I also realize, like, so I always do the morning with him and I love it. And no one's around and it's my time with him. And mm-hmm. I've learned to just really like have that. I don't look at my phone. Like I just make sure I look at my phone once, like, you know, I have someone come and take on my mom or someone. And I'm like, up until that time, I'm just focused on him. And like, yeah, like it's it's a it's an hour or two. It's not like the greatest time, but I just know like once my day starts going. It's just hard for me to shift back. Even at night, like when we were doing bedtime and all that stuff, like I just know my brain's like kind of moving now and like thinking about other work stuff. Mm -hmm. And so I just like that healthy time. But like, look, it comes back to what you were saying earlier. You have to find what works for you in terms of the scheduling and all of that and and what system. But I've like, I've also just learned like on the weekends and stuff, just like go with the flow a bit more because I'm like, I can't. And there are days where I'm like, oh, I really want to go and do something and like whatever. But it, like you said, it's almost more... It's more work sometimes when you have, like, the kids are just like, let's just follow their flow. Yeah. It's Saturday. Like, it's not going to be the end of the world. But, you know, you kind of have to kind of go back and forth and do what's best for them but also not lose yourself in the process. Yeah. I think it's also what starts to get – and you talk a lot about in the book, actually, the have to and, you know, want the to. Should, and, yeah, yeah, the and should. The should versus and, must. Yes. And yeah. I think you get more in touch with – that's going to be okay if I don't get to that right now. And this moment with my son or daughter is, is, is more important. Yeah. And yeah. then there's a time where like they're crying for me and they need me. And guess what? I still have to shut the office door yeah. and deal with this 
whatever oh, this yeah, is. And exactly. that's brutal. Absolutely. And it's going to, it's going to be okay. Yeah. I, I think, um, I know it's hard, right? You just, you never want to be, you, I think it's a con and I'm still learning, right? Like I, I'm only two years in and I'm still like, it was oh, like yeah. kind of part of the pandemic. So I feel like I'm still learning my vibe, but I'm, I'm feeling much stronger in it. I feel like it's, it's a, it's such a learning process right? Yeah. from like the first week you have your kid where you're like, oh my God, this is insane oh, yeah, my to where, uh, where you are. Yeah. My favorite is the drive home from the hospital when they give you your baby Yeah, and you go home and you're like. What do I do? Oh, this baby. Yeah. It's amazing. I don't know what to do, but I know what to do, but I don't know what to do. Yeah, you know? I know. It's, uh, you know, and, and like you said, I think it's also like getting all the voices out of out of your yeah. head, right? And, and, and if you go to the park yeah. and you will see a mom yeah. many times and I see them and I'm very in a respectful way and like a healthy way envious of their traits of the patience and the playfulness yeah. and kind of even the creativity uh, yeah, actually, I have friends that are super creative. Like, yeah, oh, we built a castle and then we filmed a thing. And I think I, I am I, an I, asshole. I, I don't do hardly any I of that. I can't do that. I mean, but I can. I know I can find <laughs> the resources and the opportunities for my son to do that. Like, I don't want to. I don't want to deprive of any of it. Right. But like, I, I think it's 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 funny you said that. Like, yeah, there's so many times where I bought stuff. I just like did his playroom, and I, it's like it's kind of funny because I'm like, why did I decide to do that on my own? But I think it like comes down to part of me being like, well, this is how I want to give. And like, even yesterday, I think I spent like the afternoon putting a decal of the world on his wall. Right. And, but it made me like, I was like, this is the way I like, like to give and I can give. Yeah. That feels right. But like, yeah, I don't know. Like when he paints, I'm always like, you're going to get everything dirty. Like, you know, my heart just is, is like, oh my God, we have to clean all this up. You know? Oh, yeah. so, and other people are, like you said, are just more natural. At they're it. just, they're And just they're let good. them do it. I think yeah. everyone should just be okay with letting other people and do I, it. And I think that's and right. And feeling bad. I think it's the guilt. No. It's the guilt. And being open, being like, oh, you know what? This Their auntie might be a really good influence on them over here because I'm not, that's not one of my high cards. So right. we'll, we'll bring that auntie or that person in. And so let's, let's talk a, a bit about the decision, the opportunity to sell yeah. to mind body. And then also the idea of like, it, is it a letting go? Like how, yeah. how does that look? So- you know, the story of Class West and Mind Body literally starts from 2012, right? So this is why it's so funny because to a lot of people, I mean, I don't think it was that shocking anyway, but I think we all knew it was a matter of of when, not if. And, um, you know, in 2012, I mean, I hadn't even launched the first version of the product. I had met Rick Stolmeyer, who is the founder of Mind Body, and his wife, um, because we were building like a little bit of that, like that open table version of Class Pass. Mm-hmm on like their API because they already were working with so many of these studios. They were like the back end, they were doing the ERPs, the scheduling and all the software for all of that. So we knew that they already had all the data. So we didn't have to like sit there and scrape it and all of that. So we were like, let's plug in Mm -hmm. to their platform. So this started in 2012, right? And so over that, I mean, ClassPass grew. And what was amazing is actually they helped us launch in so many of the new cities, right? So, because think about it, I think at a at a very technical level to get everyday schedule data, to know what inventory is available, like that's not an easy thing to be able to do. So for us to go to, let's say we went to DC and wanted to launch, for us to find 20 studios that literally with the click of a button, we would have that data mm. was huge. So we already were working together. It was like this easy thing that we were focused on customer always. Like we we had really, obviously with the brand, the product, all of that, we were always focused heavily on customer side. And they were always really focused on this beautiful back end that was helping so many of our providers um, operate. And what's funny, if you look at OpenTable actually, their company actually had both in it. 
So OpenTable actually started more with like the mind-body model and then went into consumer. Mm. And so in a weird way, in, in the tech world, people actually, when I was building ClassPass, they'd be like, wait, 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 you're doing this wrong. Like you're going in through the customer, you're supposed to be going in through the tech, right? Like first sell the, like the system in and then build a cu- customer. And I was like, no, I'm going to go the other way. Like I, it was actually pretty shocking because most people don't do it that way. Um, so I went in that way and then we just built this great relationship. And I think, you know, over the years we had, there was many moments where we talked about like coming together, whatever it might be. And then I think when the pandemic and everything that had happened, I think we were at a point where we knew that the industry needed us, you know, to come together because we could actually, instead of, you know, at a point where we were either trying to compete with each other, whatever it might be, we were literally at a place where we wanted to grow together and grow the industry together and we needed to really focus on it. So that was the number one thing we could do to help every single studio survive, right? And so it was like this better together really um, initiative, I think, for both companies that got us there. And like I said, it was a matter of when, not if. So I think that was part of that. I think personally for me, you know, I built this company for a, a decade. Like, I mean, I was telling you these stories. I feel like a little girl when I was starting it. And I don't know, I think, you know, for me, and I, I had made some decisions already, like, you know, in, in 2017, um, I had somebody else start being CEO. And so I had made decisions where I knew I was like falling into more of a creative space and a vision space with the company. And I think it was also, it's also in a sense for me, a time to also move forward and start solving other problems that I've also encountered in the world that are, you know, on my mind. And I think that's when I think personally for me, I knew that, you know, whether it was like, do I have a small role? What do I have? I was like, I think it's time for me to actually move forward because it's like having a baby. Mm -hmm. And I felt like my kid went to college, I think before, and now was getting married. And I'm like, I really just have to let go because I will... If it needs me, I will be like, yes, what do you need? And I think it was like, I need to let it breathe and I need to go breathe and become whoever I'm going to be, you know, in this next decade and keep evolving and iterating on myself. Do you, and if it's a secret, you don't have to tell me, do you have ideas about your new whys and the the next things that you're going to try to solve? You know, I'm in a very similar place to where I was 10 years ago. Like, it's it's actually funny. I was rereading my book and like almost crying because I'm like, how I'm like in the same exact place I feel like I was when like I had the idea of class pass, like when I ended up coming up to that ballet class. And part of me I know needs to just live. You know, I think this book was like a really, this book was great for me right now because I'm like, it's a really nice way for me to give back. And I knew and I felt responsible for doing that for sort of all these lessons and this way I lived, which I feel like was just different than most of my friends. I feel like in my 20s, I'm like, I need to give that to people. Um, dance is obviously a very big part of my life and my culture, which I know is a big thread, but I'm, I'm still exploring, you know, I'm in that phase and, and I think it's like, it's a hard phase for me to be in after all of this action and this building and scaling. But sometimes being in the explore phase is, is actually the most important. And I realized like I am planting the seeds right now for the next decade of my life. Right. And I'd rather spend the time, whether it takes me a year, two years, so the next decade is spent doing the right thing, the same way I did with ClassPass. I mean, I could have wasted the last 10 years like staying at Bainer or then going to business school and then, yeah, and then you're, ending up you're at another 45 and trying I to start I easily yeah, could have done that, yeah. you know? Like I know what would have been written. And by the way, even as where I am right now, there are obvious things like people do. Like they start investing, they start doing this. And, you know, and, and I have learned to be like, wait a second, I really need to be conscious now because I even feel, I feel a huge responsibility, right? Like being somebody who I know ask me so many questions. I mean, a lot of this book is like, I really want people to read it so I can be like, I know 
I have learned so much and I'm giving it mm -hmm. to you, you know, yeah. and you can have it. And I hope it, it inspires you to never let anything stand in your way, but I don't know. We'll see. I mean, you know, the world is, is your oyster. And it I think is. Uh, for me, it comes down to what I had said earlier is about having a deep why. I'm not going to do something unless I deeply, deeply care about it. And the book, it's an easy, quick book to read. Um, Life Pass, you've got chapters in there talking about identity and expectations and fear. And you go, you go through sort of all these buckets yep. that we I, anyone, whether they're looking to maybe consider a change or take on a new project, it's, it's also the observations, right? You're not mm -hmm. telling someone how to do it. You're yeah. sort of saying, hey, this is what it looked like for me. So just to wrap this up, you know, you are like a systematic, there's a, you know, you're a person who puts these in place. So for your own self-care besides dance and trying to remember to eat, do you have, <laughs> you know, your own kind of things that work best for you in your self-care? Is it, are you going to bed early? Are you eating a certain way? Do you only eat a little bit? Like what is it? Let's how see, does it is, work for you? Okay. I drink green tea every morning. Okay. I have since I was like, I think 20 years old, like literally glass of green tea every day. I feel like I just do not start my day without that. I like to sleep eight hours. I feel if I don't sleep eight hours, I'm just not operating at 150%. Mm -hmm. And to me, like, obviously it's much harder with a kid. Thankfully, he's a good sleeper. Oh. Um, but uh, knock on, like, yeah. what? Oh, no, like that's, that you don't understand. I, used, I I've said this a lot. I'm never envious of anything. Yeah. Like, I'm a gazillionaire. I'm yeah. a, you know, supermodel. Sleep. And that I, when I had kids, and the, my baby sleeps through the night. And I'd be like, get away from me, you know? Yeah. yeah. So I, I think sleep is a huge part of it. And then I think it's this, you know, this method, like, I, and I talk about it so much in the book, about mm -hmm. I know how to reflect and be self-aware. I think we forget how much self-awareness is is taken for granted. And I can't figure out what I want to do unless I look inward. It's not outward. And I think I just have always had a really good process. And I think a lot of that does come from dance and this connection, something I just felt when I was really young of center, go in, and then go out after that and create a plan. And I think that system for me is has just kept me really centered, grounded, and happy throughout mm -hmm. my life with, you know, I don't, I'm, I'm so happy about what I've achieved, but I want to keep doing more. You know, I don't feel like I haven't done enough, but at the same time, I'm also like, it's about a being fulfilled. Mm -hmm. What does fulfillment mean to you? And on a daily basis, that can change and evolve. And I think every person has to keep finding that. And I think even for me right now, like I'm on my own journey with it. Yeah. It, if people were like, you know what, I, I uh, would like to learn. I mean, you have the Saw uh, Dance Company, S.A. S.A. Dance Company, yep. And um, what's your favorite food that your mom makes you? Your favorite Indian dish? Ooh, even Indian if it's, dish. Even if okay. it's like a staple. Yeah. What um, is your go-to that you love? We call it binda, but it's okra. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's so good. Do you know how to make it? No. <laughs> <laughs> She's taught me once. I think I made it, but I've not made it ever again. I, it's on my like list of things for her to teach me while she's here right now. You know, you say in your book, like, your mom's the rebel. She's, you think she maybe is the one who got your dad to move to this country. Yeah. I think it's really, really great. So if somebody goes, okay, if you say, I'm going to go get some Indian food, 
Where are you going to direct them? What should they oh, get? Right. This, no, see, come these on. These are questions for my husband. No, just like pick one that you know is like uh, someone can get a sense of maybe the spices or herbs that are used. I think it's important. Uh, there's a really cute place called Badmash, uh-huh. which is in um, LA. Yeah. And in um, or, in New York, there's or, a new restaurant called Sona. Okay. Um, which is really nice. It's 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 definitely it's more upscale, but it's it's a great restaurant. Great. And. It, <laughs> I'm like, you're making me uncomfortable talking no, about No, don't be uncomfortable. I just want people to, like, nobody knows better than an insider. Like, this is a go-to. You have okay, to try it. Okay, but I really it. like Mexican to, food. So, that a girl. So, you know, that's just, I don't know. Like, actually, like, if you ask me my What's mom's your... favorite food is when she makes me enchiladas. <laughs> that's, that's why I was like, oh, but you said Indians. So. I like it. No, no. Okay, so let's go to enchiladas. Jersey and enchiladas. I like that. Well, okay, so... Besides your book, besides Life Pass, maybe just direct people all the places they can find you because I just, I really yes. think you have a, a lot to share and you're in these Thank new you. adventures, you yeah. know, being a mom. Yeah. And I can't, I'm very interested to see what your new undertaking, you'll be like, this is cute. I used to say that I wanted to write a book called Death by Domestication. Okay. So I think like you'll oh be like, a, well, no, because it's just the yeah. repetitiveness yeah. of it, right? Yeah, absolutely. Okay. So where can they find you? Yeah. So um, Saw Dance Company is Dance Company. Mm-hmm. Life Pass book is for book I actually um I've got like my goal setting workshop up there as well which you'll find in the book um and then on Instagram I am at pile and on Twitter I am pile kadakia k-a-d-a-k-i-a pile thanks for your time and and congratulations on everything and you're a real inspiration about just finding the way to do it your own way I think more people and I never separate men and women Mm -hmm. but I also think for a woman we just have one other layer to navigate that men do not just because of the biology so I really appreciate that so much and for your time thank you for having me thank you thanks so much for listening and if you'd like rate subscribe and leave us a review All of my music was graciously done by Frank Zumo and Tom Thacker. If you want to see some of the behind the scenes action, just follow me at Gabby Reese. And remember, don't miss new episodes every Monday. Seeking the truth never gets old. Introducing June's Journey, the free-to-play mobile game that will immerse you in a thrilling murder mystery. Join June Parker as she uncovers hidden objects and clues to solve her sister's death in a beautifully illustrated world set in the roaring 20s. With new chapters added every week, the excitement never ends. Download June's Journey now on your Android or iOS device or play on PC through Facebook games.